I'm a firm believer that God designed mm. this abundance of food for us so that we could partake in everything. So I think we should have a balance of carbohydrate, healthy fat, and healthy protein. And all of those need to be eaten in balance. Welcome to season two of the podcast show with Kaiva Vinueva, where podcast growth and monetization continues. Brought to you by Podkai Media a podcast production and marketing agency that helps functional medicine businesses increase their leads and sales. Visit their website at podkai.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast show. And in this episode, I have with me a special guest. Her name is Kitty Merton, who is gut-centric author. She's a functional health educator and host of the podcast, Stuff Your Doctor Should Know. So by the way, why am I guesting experts like Kitty Martone here, a functional health educator? So for those who don't know yet, the podcast show is a podcast that's designed to also raise awareness about addressing the root causes of your illnesses and for us to understand why we should give attention to our health. Nourishing your health is a great way and how you can reach your own definition of success may it be wealth in the wealth factor or area or your personal life, business life. So going back to my introduction, I'd like to just share with you some of the books that she has written. She has written Gut Health Diet for Beginners, Seven Day Plan to Heal Your Gut and Boost Digestive Health. The second one is the four week gut health plan. It's 75 recipes to help restore your gut. And third one is anti-inflammatory diet instant pot cookbook. These are easy recipes to reduce inflammation. Now, the exciting thing about this or the most interesting about Kitty Martone is her experience since she was one month old. All right. So Kitty actually at the age of one month has already suffered with ear, nose and throat issues in her whole life. At the age of one month, she had spinal meningitis and pneumonia and she brought all those illnesses until she hit puberty. She experienced migraines, candida, debilitating cramps, and fatigue, miscarriages, and even infertility. She has tried a lot of medications like oxycotin, ibuprofen, Valium, and Xanax, and she also tried opium even just to reduce the pain. But the goodness is that because of her persistence in searching for answers and her husband, who is a chiropractor, Charles Martone, both they discovered the root cause of her illness. And from there, that's where it all started, right? That's when you decided to educate people about gut health and all of these root issues because, of course, you don't want others to suffer from what you have experienced in the past. Is that right? Yes, that was a great rundown. Thank you for all the <laughs> reminders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was a, indeed a roller coaster ride, Kitty, huh? Yeah, it was. Certainly, I didn't think it was going to shape my career. Mm -hmm. I didn't think being sick my whole young life was going to have an impact on what I would do for a living as I got older. I thought, oh, I was going to go off and be an actress or an author <gasps> or a photographer and had no idea that 
all of these illnesses were going to keep me from having a normal job. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it became my job to get healthy. And then I thought, well, now that I've done it, I'm sure there's loads of women out there who are just like me and men and Mm -hmm. who could learn from my experiences. So that's how I ended up doing this for a living, really. Yeah, but that's so interesting because you turned that into something really great. And you mentioned a while ago you were expecting for it to be like your career right now. So I want to know, how does it feel that what you're doing right now is deeply tied to your roots? I think, as you know, I have a podcast as well. And what I find is that almost everyone that I interview that's in this field of health and wellness, they all have similar stories. They didn't just randomly pick to go to medical school or to massage school or dentistry, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They went because they had their own issues with their health. And so they pursued that line of work because it was of interest to them because it had a personal tie to their own lives. And so same with me. I think the real poignant thing that happened for me wasn't just all these health issues and the roller coaster, but ultimately not being able to get pregnant. Well, I should rephrase that, not being able to hold the pregnancy. I could get pregnant. I couldn't stay pregnant. And I know how that feels for a woman to long for that and then to not be able to achieve that. And for many women, it's like the thought of that happening to them is devastating. And I handled it a lot better than I thought I would have had you told me that I wouldn't be having children as a young girl, I probably would have been a lot more devastated then than I ultimately ended up. This is okay. This is what God chose for me and this is my life and it's okay. But I do think that that drive to help women get pregnant, I think that to answer your question about tying into my roots of what was going on with me as a young woman, I feel like drives me more than anything to get women out of pain and suffering as much as possible or to help them, but also to overcome the obstacles of infertility. That's a big part of it as well. I also know people who are also suffering with infertility and with from the podcast of my clients, I also hear that the rate of infertility is really going high because of different issues. Issues, not only with the how our bodies are designed themselves, but also with the external factors, right? That's why I'm very, very interested because before I be pivoted in deciding helping wellness entrepreneurs amplify their voices through podcasting, I was also in a different industry. Actually, one of our clients inspired me into serving this industry because of these concerns. And also with my experience, with all the lifestyle changes that I made, like for example, here in the Philippines, we eat so much rice. (laughs) So yeah, with the education that I got from my clients, it helped me understand what kind of food should I be eating because it's what they say, food is medicine, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to go deeper on because you created three different books. These are all about gut health, right? So Mm -hmm. I want to go about the topic of gut health and I saw on your post, you mentioned there that the greatest wealth is gut health, right? So Mm -hmm. behind all of these illnesses, we all know that or experts always say that it's the root cause if you have leaky gut or whatever. But if you were to explain this, the greatest wealth is gut health to a five-year-old, how would you explain it? Well, that's a really good question because 
it makes me think about how when you're around children a lot, if you have your own or if you're just a niece's nephews, and when they don't feel well, they rarely say, my head hurts or I have foggy head or they don't almost always describe their discomfort as tummy ache. Almost always, even if they don't really have a tummy ache, but they're scared or they are nervous, they don't want to do something, they'll say, my tummy hurts. It's a really common thing for children to complain about. And it's not a coincidence either, because I think that the body is designed for us to have warning lights on our dashboard of our car when a light goes off to tell us something is wrong right? Our engine light or check oil light, check oil filter light or whatever, gas light, right? We're on empty. It's a warning signal to tell us something is wrong. So when a child says, I have a tummy ache, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a tummy ache. It just means something is not right with them. It's a warning to us that something is not right. So to a child, I would say, when we are unhappy, when we don't feel good, that's a sign that something is not right in our bodies. And that could mean we're hungry. It could mean we ate the wrong food. It could mean we're catching a cold. It could mean we need to get some rest. And we have to pay attention to these warning lights, to these little signals that are telling us, hey, something might not be right inside your body. So let's pay attention to that. And let's tell mommy or daddy what's going on. You make sure you vocalize how you feel because how you feel is everything. Thing. Think about that. Like as a child, you don't want to go out and play. You don't want to go play with your friends. You don't want to eat if you don't feel good. And so the greatest health wealth is gut health. And that's a good way to describe it to a child. It's like, imagine when you don't feel good, you don't want to do anything. Mm. And that's, that's the truth, isn't it? When we don't feel good, it's like when you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You yeah. don't, you just have your pillow if you're lucky in your bed yeah. <laughs> and someone to care for you, hopefully, you yeah. know, depending well, on how bad it is. That's the sad truth, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my follow-up question is why gut health is the root of many issues. Mm, right. The root of many issues, because I think this is news to, I think it's probably in the scientific world, it's a good 15 to 20 years in the making, maybe even longer than that. But in the clinical practice world, in your clinician's office, in your doctor's office, and in your nutritionist and dietitian's office, it's 10 years old. It's pretty new on the scene, which is we're learning that the microbiome, which is all the organisms that live in our guts and on us as well, right? Everywhere, basically, but mostly in our guts. They actually control, I should say they conduct every metabolic function that we have. Not one metabolic function happens in the body without a microorganism participating or even triggering that to happen. And that is incredible news for the medical world, for the scientific community, for us to find out that, wow, it isn't just my body, my human cells making decisions for my health. It's actually the bacteria, the fungus, the parasites even, the mycotoxins, all the different organisms that live in our guts play a role in your health, in digestion, in metabolism, in hormone health, everything. And now they're even realizing it's playing a role in our psychological health. So in your mental health, in your emotional health. And so when we have something wrong with us, we can always assume like any non-communicable disease, diabetes, cancer, hypertension, or even 
communicable diseases like the flu, common colds, COVID, bacterial infections, all of these tend to have at the root of them some gut dysbiosis. What that means is some imbalance of the digestive process in the gut. And that can look like many things. It can look like bloating and IBS. Leaky gut is a very, very common issue that almost anyone that has a serious imbalance in their body, you can almost guarantee they have some form, some severity of leaky gut. From some of the podcast episodes that I also have listened to wellness podcasts, I hear that in some cases of what we experience also here in the Philippines, in some cases, there are illnesses, or I don't know if you should label it illness, like for example, bloating, that Mm -hmm. we think is normal, right? But ever since I delve in the wellness industry, I understood that it should not be normal. So can you explain it further as to why bloating should not be normal? And if we are experiencing bloatiness, how can we reduce that? Well, I think, you know, we have to remember that we're human and we're going to have issues. We're even, we're, nobody is making it out of this alive, as they like to say. So we're always going to have something happening. Some people worse than others, some people less than others. So I think some amount of bloating is not anything to be worried about. You know, if you have a beer or you have some raw broccoli or whatever, and you're like, whoa. But if that becomes a daily occurrence, every time you eat or whenever you eat a certain type of food, or in some severe cases, just drinking water Mm. and people can have a bloating issue. So there's different levels of severity with bloating, but chronic bloating is just not normal. And what this tells us, so I always like to say that the first thing that you have to pay attention to is the digestive process. Before we start to look at any other symptoms, even if you're like, well, I have this skin condition Mm. or I have arthritis, even those conditions, you still want to look at digestion first. What am I eating? Am I chewing my food well? Or am I always in a hurry and just chomp, chomp, swallow, right? That's like my dog, Mm. chomp, chomp, swallow. (laughs) And that was, I was famous for that my whole life. Just that I was just on the go as a child, always eating quickly, running out the door. Not good. This could have literally triggered all my health issues from childhood. It's a big deal when you don't masticate or chew your food thoroughly because you're sending large pieces of undigested food into the gut that your stomach then has to break down and then digest it, absorb the nutrients from that food. And if you have too large pieces, too big of pieces of food in the stomach, it has to work harder. There's a reason we have teeth, right? There's a reason (laughs) for that. And so we have to utilize those teeth and chew our food. So that's the first part of digestion is first of all, what are you eating? Are you chewing? it, are you at rest when you eat or are you at stress? And then are you absorbing the nutrients from that food? For example, is that high quality, decent food that you're eating? Or are you trying to absorb the food, the nutrients from packaged and processed foods Mm -hmm. every day? And then the next step is, are you eliminating the waste matter from that food? So whatever is indigestible from the food you ate, are you eliminating that in an efficient and effective way? Or is your motility or how 
how quickly that transit time that the food passes out of your body into your stool, how slow is that? Is it sluggish? Are you constipated? Do you have diarrhea? Is it coming out way too fast? So those things are where everything begins. I call it the first domino to fall in all the dominoes that are illness and imbalances. Everything from toe fungus to diabetes to cancer, the first thing to go would be how are you digesting your food from consuming it to excreting the waste from it? How is that process? So that I think is fundamentally important for everybody, no matter who you are, what are you eating and how well are you digesting it? All right. So I feel like I'm on a consultation call right now because you mentioned (laughs) about arthritis a while ago, which I was diagnosed with minor arthritis. Wow. My niece, yeah, at the age of, you know, 30. So yeah, what's sad about it is when I consulted a doctor about it, he mentioned that it's just normal. Wow. Well, maybe these days it is, right? Maybe it is normal now. It's I shouldn't say normal. It's common. Mm, I see. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that even the food we eat, how it digests the food we eat can also be a contributing factors of illnesses like this. And also with regards to that as well, a few months before... My ob also prescribed pills to me because she mentioned that one of my ovaries, it produces many follicles compared to the other ovary. So my question is, for people who are also encountering this type of you know illness, where should we begin? Because mm-hmm. it we can say that it's because of digestion of the food you eat, right? But it can be overwhelming for us who really don't understand how it works. So what should be the first step? What should we do to somehow reduce the pain and mm-hmm. eventually make ourselves feel better? Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, with the doctor saying that it's normal, it definitely is not normal. It's just more common these days. And there's probably a lot of different reasons for this. I think a really common reason is because the quality of our food is not as good as it used to be. I don't know, probably in the Philippines, you probably have more access. I'm making an assumption here that you probably have more access to more natural foods, more vegetables, more where I feel like in the US, it's so industrialized and so commercialized. And not that you don't have that there. I also want understand that a big culture, a big part of the food culture in the Philippines is a lot of fried food, right? Mm. A lot of heavily fat, using a lot of saturated fats and a lot of polyunsaturated fats. So I would say, assuming that you've had a pretty normal diet, I don't know, there could be a lot of other drivers with people. Some people will say, oh, I've been vegetarian my whole life. Or so there are factors that can play into an individual's problems. And I may not know your medical history. So let's just assume that you're the average woman who has had probably the standard diet, but has tried to become healthy in when you got into your later teenage years and early 20s, and you started to try to eat healthier. Let's use that as an example, Mm -hmm. as a ruler. And I would say that the first thing to do is journal what you eat just for like 10 days and 
write down how you feel after you eat certain foods. So even if you don't feel anything, if you feel fine, but then you notice that every time you go to this certain coffee house and have croissants that you feel fine that day, but the next day your joints swell up. So keeping track of everything you eat for 10 days, that's it. You don't have to do it all the time and start to pay attention to what foods cause you the most disturbance. And even little things, when I started doing this, one of the first, and I wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't started journaling. One of the things I noticed was when I had corn or anything that had corn in it, my nose would start to run just a little bit, not Mm. a lot, just a little. And I was like, that's interesting. And I thought it's a coincidence. Every time I had corn chips or anything with corn, it kept showing up. And I started to realize then also it would slow down my motility. I would get a little bit stopped up and I wouldn't have normal bowel movements throughout the week if I had too much corn. So I started to realize, wow, I'm sensitive to corn. I can't really digest corn. So that's one thing to do. And then that also can change as you age. You know, I used to be able to tolerate dairy. Now I can't really tolerate dairy. You might say, wow, I've always eaten dairy my whole life. But if all of a sudden now you start to journal about it and you recognize that, okay, when I have dairy, I have that eczema flare up or whatever, you just start to write down all the little things. You could also do a diet elimination and that is really easy. That's also a 10 day thing that I recommend, which is, I call it eliminating the usual suspects. And that means that the things that usually cause problems in most people, gluten is at the top of the list. Gluten is almost always for everyone a problem. And there are different reasons for that. We can talk about that on another day, but for these different reasons, people can no longer tolerate gluten like they used to. So I would say give up gluten for 10 days and just see how that goes. Just do the journaling, give up gluten, see what changes. And then the next 10 days, you can try gluten and dairy, or you can try, you can add gluten back in and see how you feel. So you just go along with eliminating. So the top ones are gluten, dairy, other grains, like Mm -hmm. corn and beans, things like that. Those are the usual suspects would be gluten, dairy, legumes, beans, other grains. So this is a very broad topic because we can go into all the little corners of balancing your food. Like you mentioned how much rice you eat in the Philippines. And again, I don't think, I think rice is a really healthy carbohydrate, but if you eat too much of it or too much protein, too much fat, you know, those are our macronutrients, our protein, our fat, and our carbohydrates. And we can eat those in balance. That's great. And it's not easy to do, but it's really good to pay attention to that kind of stuff. So going back to your original question, I would look at diet elimination, journaling what you eat. That's for the gut aspect of things. And then, you know, look into supplementation, spore-based probiotics and digestive enzymes, things like that. The whole thing with the ovaries and the hormones, that's a separate topic that we can certainly talk about that is tied in with diet and gut health. I was about to ask Rice a while ago, but good thing that you already brought that up. So, it's okay but if you eat too much and that's not okay 
right? Yeah, right. Because from my perspective, you know, a lot, there's so many diets out there right now Mm -hmm. and have been for several years that eliminate entire food groups, right? Ketogenic diet, paleo, low carb, no carb, vegetarian, every diets that completely eliminate entire food groups. I don't believe in that at all. I'm a firm believer that God designed Mm -hmm. this abundance of food for us so that we could partake in everything. So I think we should have a balance of carbohydrate, healthy fat, and healthy protein. And all of those need to be eaten in balance. And that's going to be different for everyone. But I am working on a book, which Uh is going to spell out exactly or a general view of what that looks like, a balance. And you can also go online and look at, it's called balancing your macros, macro, Mm -hmm. meaning macronutrients, to see what does a 30-year-old woman who's 5'4 and weighs this much, what should her caloric intake look like? And we don't want to be that way our whole lives. Like no one wants to do that. No one wants to spend every day tracking what you eat and how many grams you're eating. That's no fun, but it's good to start. It's kind of like budgeting and saving money to buy a car. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't just go, I'm going to save money. And then you just go about your life as usual. No, you have to sit down and learn how to budget, learn how much to put for this and for that and make a plan and do that for several days or months. And then you start to get the hang of it. And then you don't even pay attention anymore. You go, okay, well, I don't, I'm not going to spend money on that coffee at Starbucks every day anymore. I'm going to put that towards my car fund. Same thing with food. I'm not going to spoil my cheat day on Sunday and have a bunch of donuts because I want to save that for the birthday party that's coming up for my niece on Monday. And I want to have birthday cake and a margarita, right? You start to pay attention to what is worth it for you to overeat your carbs or overeat your fat. And Mm. then during the week, it's like 80-20, right? 80% of the time you want to be balanced. 20% you can kind of spoil yourself. That 80% you should have balance and be specific to what you're eating and how you're eating and how you're digesting. Okay. So first I want to go back to journaling because journaling is what they recommend when you want to understand your mind, especially if you're undergoing through different or tough times, right? But it's Mm -hmm. great that you mentioned because I had an aha moment when you mentioned about journaling what you eat because I never thought that, yeah, we could also do that with our food, what we eat every day, how the food that we eat make us feel, right? So it's great thing that you mentioned that. Now with the budgeting, the nutrients, what do you think is the first step in understanding the nutrients. You mentioned that it's different from person to person, right? Mm -hmm. So apart from journaling, how can we understand the nutrients that we are digesting or we are absorbing? And how can we understand what nutrients should we be needing to take in? Mm -hmm. Great question. So we have macronutrients and we have micronutrients and we have phytonutrients. So macronutrients are, think macro as in big, they're carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And that's like, you know, your chicken, your cheese, 
your dairy, your eggs, and then avocados, all of your macronutrients. And then your micronutrients are your vitamins, your minerals. So A, B, C, D, E, Mm. and magnesium would be a mineral. Selenium would be a mineral. And we don't want to get lost in all the little minutia of that stuff. You certainly can. I made a career out of it. And so that's Mm. what I do. But in general, we need to have an abundance of both of those. And if you think, and the phytonutrients are things like antioxidants from blueberries and resveratrol and things like that, that help us to fight off oxidation and pathogens in the body. And we get that naturally from eating all of these, from eating a diverse, wholesome, hopefully homemade, if you can, diet. The more diversity, the better, including for our microbiome, which needs that diversity also. I always try to compare everything to a car. I always Mm -hmm. need an analogy and like the bank account and the budget. But with our bodies, even though our bodies are far more complex than a car, I like to think of it in that way. The car needs fuel to run. It has an engine and a carburetor and it has filters and tanks and it needs fuel to get from point A to point B. And so do we. We have a fuel tank and that's our metabolism. We produce energy and the way we produce energy is from our fuel. So the quality of fuel that you put into a tank, into a car is important. If you have a beat up old Nissan from 1995, it doesn't really matter what kind of gas you put in your car. Mm -hmm. It's just going to, you know, whatever. But if you have a really beautiful Maserati or you have a Formula One race car, It matters if you want your body to run optimally, if you want to have a healthy body that is making clean energy, and remember it's consuming the energy, it's chewing it, it's absorbing the nutrients from that energy, I mean from that fuel, it's making energy from that fuel, and then we're getting rid of the exhaust or the waste. Same Mm -hmm. thing with the car. You put the gas, makes the engine run, and then it puts out exhaust, which is the pollution. And it has filters to clean and detox the junk out of that. So it doesn't pollute the carburetor and the filters of the vehicle. Same thing with us. The more bad fuel you put into your body, the harder it's going to be for your body to excrete the waste, the exhaust out. And that the gunk, the garbage from whatever it is you're eating, whether it's really, really healthy, you're going to have waste from it, or it's just processed garbage, you're going to still have to clear all that exhaust out of the body. And that is a process. The healthier, the cleaner the fuel is, the cleaner the energy will be, the clearer your mind will be, the higher the energy levels, the easier to focus, the easier to heal from diseases and bone breaks and any kind of wound, your body will run cleaner and more efficient. And then when you clear out the exhaust, it that's also a big part of detoxification. And so, so the clean diet is really important. And then just in generally speaking, and this is very general, you want to look at a diet that is, if you think of a pie, less than 30% of that pie is going to be healthy fats. I Mm. am from the camp that believes in healthy saturated fats. So fats that are like bone in pork, a Mm. pork butt cooked with the bone in ribs, 
chicken on the bone, any kind of really high quality steak on the bone, fish on the bone. You guys are really good at all those meats on the bone. Philippine Mm -hmm. culture is so good with that. And (laughs) it's important to have that bone in the meat because it provides for a healthier, balanced protein. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of meats I prefer. I also like some organ meats. And I know that's not very popular these days, but organ meats are amazing for us. And Mm. I know your culture uses organ meats, but I think you're not as much as you used to maybe, but I think it needs to come back and get more popular, which is liver and the gizzards and the hearts Mm. and the kidneys, all the things, right? Including like chicken feet and pig's feet, cooking those in broths and making gelatinous broths. Mm. Those things are so rich and nutrient dense. And so going back to that pie, 30% of it, healthy fat. So the fats from those meats and from dairy and from cheese, those are good. We've been taught, especially recently, that they're not good, right? Mm -hmm. That you want to have fats like olive oil and fats from seeds and nuts. I'm not from that camp. I think we need to have a little bit of all of it, but only 30% of those fat of your whole diet should be Mm. that kind of fat. Then about 20%, uh, 30, 40, 50, about 20%, 25% protein. So now you're looking at the, again, the meat on the bone and eggs and some dairy, but again, that's also fat. So that's about 20%. So now you've got half of the pie, the other 50% healthy carbohydrates. Now, again, I personally can't do 30% of fat. I have to do less. You have to find out the balance for you. You can definitely Google it and research it and find out you know, what works for me. And you try to eat like that and you're going to notice your portions are smaller, your meals are smaller, Mm. and I eat more frequently. I eat three to four meals a day and they're small meals. So it takes a little bit of practice because we're not used to that. We eat when we're hungry and we eat till we're full. That's not really working for everybody. So trying to learn how to eat in balance. And I didn't learn this until just very recently. Mm -hmm. I just used to you know, eat whenever. And I had been under eating my total of the pie. I was under eating, but Mm. I was overeating fat and carbohydrate and not enough protein. So it's so interesting because you can see your body change. You can see your weight change. You can see your sleep patterns change. You can see your bowel movements change. When you start to have this awareness of getting the right balance of foods, I hope that's not too crazy and confusing. It has a lot of information and also I just remembered here in the Philippines with regards to the pie, the piece of the pie. Maybe the reason why a lot of the Filipinos here are experiencing, you know, hypertension and all of those illnesses is because whenever we eat, our pie is like 80% rice. <laughs> Right. That's carbohydrate load. So, you know, and now you've got even in America, it's not rice, but it's carbohydrate. Uh, It's definitely carbohydrate. So people say, I'm going on a no carb diet. I'm doing no carbs. I'm going to do ketogenic diet and or a carnivore diet. I'm just going to eat meat and like a little bit of salad. Mm -hmm. And now they've excluded all carbohydrates. It's like, whoa, come back the other way Mm -hmm. and find some balance with that rice. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right. I just funny. I suddenly remembered how we eat here in the Philippines, especially if there are like occasions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, going back to, because you mentioned about organs a while ago, because here in the Philippines, we're really, we have access to 
eating different parts of the meat. <laughs> yeah. Street food, something like that. But the nose my... to tail, they call it, right? Yeah. Nose to tail. <laughs> but my mom, she also has arthritis. One thing that she says about eating organs is every time she eats organs, she feels discomfort on her knees. Does it trigger gout? Yeah, gout is really interesting. I'm learning a lot more about it. I used to think that it was just about uric acid and the collection of uric acid. And it is, it is definitely that. But going back, so organ meats are very, very, very rich. So going back to all the different foods like the dairy and all these things, if you already have digestive disturbance or dysbiosis, gut dysbiosis, it's called. If you already have problems, you might have issues digesting foods that are meant to be very, very good for you. A kale smoothie, for example, they say, oh, it's supposed to be so good for you. And vegetables are meant to be so good for you or dairy. But if you already can't do that process fully of chewing. So there's this disinfection process that happens in the gut, right? In the stomach where the food is disinfected. It's literally cleaned by the acid in your stomach. And then it's digested partly in the stomach and then goes into the small intestine to get further digested. If that process over years and years and years has broken down or is not working efficiently, no matter how healthy the food is, you could have issues mm. breaking it down. So I would say you can take a hydrochloric acid supplement, which is restoring the hydrochloric acid production in your mm. stomach and helping you to break it down further. That's a really big help for some people. Also, I'm sure you've heard of tart cherry juice helping with gout. There's a tart cherry juice. I don't know. Here in the US, we have a lot. You can get it anywhere now, but it's also meant to help with the collection of uric acid in the joints. But something that I learned recently is that estrogen, the hormone estrogen, which a lot of people think of women when they think of estrogen, which is correct in some ways, but we all have estrogen, men, babies, everyone has estrogen. But as we age, the estrogen, not, and these days it's happening much younger, as you mentioned yourself mm -hmm. having some issues, the estrogen can go into the tissues and instead of insert in the blood and circulation where it should be, and when it goes into the tissues, it can create inflammation. And that I think is at the root of a lot of these young people like yourself getting arthritis and also at the root of a lot of gout, at the root of a lot of elderly people getting arthritis where they think, oh, it's bone loss. And it can, it's partly bone loss, you know, mm -hmm. where the breaking down of bone, but all of that still comes back down to the digestive process. You have to have that process in order or your body starts to, I say, your body robs Peter to pay Paul, mm -hmm. right? So it sacrifices your bone health to help you digest your food. If you don't have hydrochloric acid and you're having this issue, your body will take minerals from the bones mm -hmm. and it will try to put out the fire in your gut with this rotting, or I should say putrefying food that's waiting to be digested right? You have this food, you know, these organ meats that you've just eaten and a bunch of rice sitting, waiting, waiting 
to be digested. And if you don't have the tools to do that because of too much stress, too much carbohydrates over your life, many different reasons, the quality of food you're eating, you don't have the tools to digest it. It will find some other way to do that. And it will sacrifice your bone health and it'll start to put out that fire in the gut and then you'll digest it. But it can't do that forever. So the older you get, the worse that arthritis gets because it keeps taking and taking from the body and and it goes into the other areas of the body to try to compensate for the problem at the gut. And that happens over time. And so the hydrochloric acid that I mentioned, they say a healthy 19-year-old boy makes 32 ounces, so a whole quart of hydrochloric acid in one day. That's a lot. That's a big bottle of hydrochloric acid Mm. that we make to aid in digestion. That same boy, by the time he's 70 years old, will make one capsule, so a quarter of a teaspoon of hydrochloric acid in one day. Mm. That's how much digestion has depleted by the Mm. time you get to be older. And that's what happens, right? You look at the elderly and they just don't have an appetite anymore. And if they do, everything bothers them to eat. So they have to do soups and liquids and things. And this is the reason because their body's like, I'm done eating solid food. I can't do it anymore. I can't digest it. It's making me worse. And then their metabolism slows down. So their engine slows down and now their car doesn't want to go anymore. Right. Mm. So it's just sitting there like barely consuming any fuel. And that's where all the problems stem from that. So I have a lot of aha moments. I think this is also the best time that we review all the food that we eat. Yeah, especially also for the listeners to the Filipinos who eat a lot of rice. This is really a great help. Thank you for sharing all of those. So I need to make a review so I can somehow reduce the pain on my knees. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, basically what I would say is do for 10 days, get rid of the usual suspects, you know, definitely the gluten and try to limit your intake of carbohydrates, but don't eliminate them totally. Just reduce it. Think about the things you eat every day that you eat a lot of besides the rice and start to think, okay, like maybe it's fruit juice right? Mm. So now you're having rice and fruit juice. Okay. Well, let me look at all the different carbohydrates. And if somebody, if your listeners aren't familiar with what carbohydrates are, you can easily Google it. There are healthy carbohydrates and there are unhealthy carbohydrates, just like there are healthy proteins and healthy fats, unhealthy fats and unhealthy proteins. And just look it up and look at the different things that you eat. And then consider that the things that you eat the most of, might be contributing to your problems and either reduce it or give it a break for 10 days and see how you feel afterwards. I've seen dramatic health differences in people when they quit gluten completely. Like they'll do 10 days and they'll say, wow, I can't believe it, but I stopped snoring. My sleep Mm -hmm. apnea went away. And then, or they say, my spouse said my sleep apnea went away. And then I'm going to do it for 10 more days. And then they're like, I'm going to do it for a month. And then before you know it, they're like, I'm quitting gluten because clearly it's a problem for me and they lose weight and it's hard to do because it's in everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why I would start with you is just look and everybody is Mm -hmm. don't sink into the hydrochloric acid world and all the things I said right away. Just Go for the most obvious things first. The things you do every day are almost always the things that are causing the problem. That's noted. Thank you once more for sharing that. Mm -hmm. All right. So now I want to 
shift gears just a little bit with regards to, you know, all these education that you provide online and also through your podcast. So I want to know, what do you think is the main benefit of podcasting when it comes to wellness? And would you say that a wellness entrepreneur should also amplify their voices through podcasting because it helps a lot of people heal? Yeah, you just answered the question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what's so great about it is that never in the history that we know it of from the inception of radio and have we ever had the ability to have resources at our fingertips like this? You can get online and Google simple carbohydrates and Google counting your macros. It's overwhelming. I have a Facebook group with 30,000 plus women and called the Estrogen Dominant Support Group. And we talk about hormones and PCOS that you mentioned and hormone issues and gout and everything. And it's a lot of info. And these women, you can hear the frustration in a lot of women's voices because they're like, oh, I can't keep up with it. It's too much. But at the same time, I always like to point out to them this, think about it. You know, even 15 years ago, we were at the mercy of our doctors. Now that's not a bad thing, but what if you don't have a good doctor, Yeah, you know, and that's really common. You know, what if you just have a pill pusher? You know, a doctor who's like, I have a pill for that. And most doctors 15, 20 years ago, they never even talk about nutrition. We didn't have access to anything. So we were at the mercy of what our doctors found on a test. And sometimes that's not even accurate. Mm. So it's such a luxury to be able to listen to podcasts any time of day, anywhere you want, to anyone you want. And to take that information from here and that information from here. And people like, I'm not a doctor. But I have been through Mm -hmm. a lot of things that a lot of women can relate to. And I've learned from it. And I do have a formal education in wellness, but I'm not a doctor. But that's okay because a lot of doctors can't deliver the info in the way that I can. Yeah. Right. Same thing with you. You have the ability to reach people with your specialty and your, your talents and your skills. And that. We've never had that ever. Yeah. We are so fortunate to be able to get online and just Google or listen to Joe Rogan or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and just say, wow, this is, I never would have learned that unless I went to medical school or became a biochemist. We've got people who are able to go into their doctor's office and say, I don't think that a statin is right for me because I read this. And sometimes doctors are like, oh, brother, here comes the self-diagnosing, self-medicating Karen from home, you know, but a lot of doctors and they're having to listen and pay attention and say, oh, maybe you're right. You have been on a statin for 20 years. Now you have all these other issues and you're right. Maybe we should look into finding another way to lower your cholesterol. Let's cut down on the rice. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's wonderful that we have this, but it is information overload for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it's also finding the right doctor for you, right? Yeah. 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 Which can be really hard. I know I told you my partner is, is in the Philippines right now and he was dealing with a little health issue here and he was waiting to get seen here. It's a new thing now here in the States. We used to have much better health care than we do now. And he said, I got in to see a doctor right away, right when he arrived, like two days later. And he was bragging about how awesome the health care was there. He's really? in... Pangasinan? Pangasinan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a city next to our city. 
Okay. So yeah. yeah, he's north of Manila. He says total tropical rainforest. He loves it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. All right. That's great to hear that he's enjoying here. <laughs> yeah. And he said the healthcare is he found a great doctor right away, wow. which is, you know, really a problem here now. Very mm. much. Everything here is now run by insurance. Mm. So the insurance companies have a stronghold on how the doctors, how much time the doctors spend with you, what tests they can run. It's really bad. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's sad to hear. Anyway, Mm. my last question before we end the interview, I'd like Mm. to ask you, Kitty, what's your ultimate dream? for the people you serve. Mm, I love that. Well, one of the last thing I want to do is overwhelm people. I want to be a resource. You know, I don't want to be someone, I'm not a healer. I don't want to be looked at as a doctor. I'm a messenger. I'm an educator. So I want, my dream is that people who have, who feel stuck, people who feel like they have no hope, with their health situation, that they have access to me in some way, in a free ways. And there are ways that you can work with me one-on-one, but just to be able to have access and to be able to ask questions, we just want that for everyone. It doesn't have to be me, but just to inspire people to be able to have access to the health care that they deserve and that they want. And I hope that that's the message that I get across to people is my dream is make sure that people have hope. I want people to have hope for their condition, their situation, and that I give that to them. That would be ideal. I love that you mentioned about hope because it's really a great thing that we can hold on to (laughs) whatever we are experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you, Kitty. These are a lot of information. I know that I need time to fully understand all of these, but these are really helpful, especially, you know, these actionable steps like journaling, diet elimination. I really, really love that I've heard these tips from you because I know that this is how I can better understand my health and how I can improve it better, right? So yeah, anyway, where can people find you if they want to work with you or if they want to see your resources or your books? Well, you can get any of my books on Amazon and also healthygutgirl.com is my website. And I only offer one program. It's called the Gut and Hormone Rehab Program. And let's see, also Instagram, healthygutgirl underscore. And now, of course, I'm doing all the things, the TikTok and the, but on my Healthy Gut Girl website, you can find my podcast. You can also find the information for the company that I run, which is Ona's Natural, which is plant-based hormone support. And that's uh, mm-hmm. hormone creams like progesterone and estrogen and DHEA, things like that for hormone balance. And a lot of resources there to help women who are going through hormonal imbalance and men. So yeah, and my podcast I mentioned as well, all of that info is on healthygutgirl.com. Yeah, so everyone who should or who would like to work with Kitty, you can, I will drop the links in the show notes where you can find her. So once again, Kitty, thank you for your time. These are very valuable information. I'm excited to share this with my friends and my family. And I hope to, you know, have you once more in the podcast show. And once again, this has been the podcast show, guys, by Podguy Media, helping you heal people one podcast at a time. And I'll see you again on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you need help growing and monetizing your podcast, don't forget to visit podkai.com and book a call with us. We want to know more about you.